Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take SideQuests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good morning, Slava. Happy part three of The Hobbit. Hey, Jonathan. How are you this morning? I'm good. Brought my friend today. Bring your friend to the podcast day. We got Deborah here, tuning in live. Hello. Joining us. Deborah is a friend of mine. She's a horse whisperer. She plays horse polo, which if you're unfamiliar, it's where people on horses run really fast and use these really long sticks to hit this ball in a the direction of their team or not their team. I like to call it uh horse hockey is what we, you know, call horse it. Horse hockey. Yeah. Nice. That's the That gist. works too. Mm-hmm. She's a fantasy nerd and a Dungeons and Dragons roller. So all around fits in well with this podcast and today's book. Deborah, what was your most recent D&D character? Ooh, my most recent D&D character was a half-elf barbarian, Path of the Berserker, and she was raised by orcs. Okay. Nice. So she only speaks orcish. She does not speak elvish and she's like as beefy and muscly as an elf can get oh boy but she got kicked out of her tribe because she could not perform the feat of strength necessary to remain oh nice yep that's kind of a nice backstory oh yeah i go all out on the backstories i like it what level were you guys when you last played or are you still playing this character i am still playing this character actually my boyfriend matt who if you guys listen to the Star Wars episodes, you've met him. Also super, super nerd. He's my DM, and we are still playing in that campaign currently. So we're level seven right now. Mm. Oh, nice. Nice. Path of Berserker. When I played a barbarian for the first time, I did the, what is it, Animal Spirit Path? What is it called? Yeah, I don't remember exactly what that one's called, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'll find out. <laughs> I've got the book right here. Is that the Player's let's, Handbook? Let's... Oh, yeah. 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 I've got my full selection. I don't know if you can see right here. Yes, I see. Nice. Player's Handbook. Oh, bookshelf All full. this jazz. Yeah. I, on the other hand, have never played Dungeons & Dragons <gasps> ever. No. But I've known so many people in my life, Jonathan, and now meeting you, and even like the guy who cleans up after everybody at my barbershop. He's a Dungeons & Dragons nerd. So I feel like I'm by osmosis or just listening into conversations. I understand Dungeons and Dragons, it you know, enough. I don't know. I understand it, but I've never ever played it. Totem Warrior. That's Totem. Yep, that's right. You should definitely play it, Slava. It is a lot of fun. It's a riot as long as you have a good DM. Like Matt is a great DM. So if you can find someone that's, or you know, you could just come visit us and we'll run a one shot for I you. I could. There mm-hmm. you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could do that. Well, in November, supposedly my friend's getting married. That's in, lives in Chicago, so maybe a couple days early, come out. Yeah, round of Dungeons and Dragons and go to the wedding. Do it, <laughs> yes. Matt would one hundred percent. I'll prepare the kitchen. Run a one shot. Yep. Jonathan's yeah. going to uh, have to ask his permission to be in the game, though, because I heard there was some uh, 
conflict there. <laughs> what? I heard, what? I heard. Do tell. This will surprise all of you. I mean, you'll be astounded by this, but Jonathan apparently is a little bit hard to DM for because he's contradictory and a little, you uh, know, he likes well, to pull the strings. Like, I'm surprised you weren't a divination wizard, honestly. Jonathan, you don't strike me as a contrarian or to somebody who would annoy, you know, other people. In a Clearly, you weren't Not there for all. the first 10 years of our friendship. <laughs> anyway. I tuned out. <laughs> yeah, apparently. But D&D is fun. We should get we should do like a, a guest game here. Get get some of the old guests on and just do like a, a one cap with either Matt DMing or me. That could be a fun special episode. Yes. Maybe for the hundredth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 40 away. So that's like three months time. or four months. We got time to plan this. But yeah, the hundredth could be a DMD. DMD. Wow. A Dungeons and Dragons. D&D. There you go. I there we go. Out. There we go. It could be a D&D episode. Heck yeah. That's thrown shade. I have to ask permission. He and I shared a character before. <laughs> what is this nonsense? Get out of here. You'll have to talk we to were, him about it. There was a thing we started. Yeah, apparently. I'm going to call him after this show. <laughs> um, we there was, a, there was a time we were playing with uh, a different friend group, and because no one else had DM'd before, he and I took turns because we both wanted to play, where we would like the character would shift between personas and beings. It, it was almost like shape-shifting a little bit, but the game would go on and we would just kind of take turns didn't last a whole long long time but what a dweeb all right i'm gonna fight him later it's fine let's dive into the hobbit here a quick pleasantry question before we roll into this a wizard knocks on your door and uh we talked about this last episode from slava's above average mediocre question because i don't want to give him too much credit um Uh, a wizard knocks on your door, tells you you're going on an adventure. You have 10 minutes to pack. What are you bringing for it? Top three items. Slava, we'll make you go first. Ooh. All right. Well, I'm going to bring my hunting rifle, just in case I run into any orcs. How much Probably you an iPhone or some sort of audio listening device so I can listen to my audiobooks. I'm bringing two things. I'm bringing my iPhone and a hunting rifle. That's all I'm bringing. <laughs> okay. That's all I need. Do you have? I'm a you want to bring like a, a, a chef's knife or something to try to prepare some food on the road or a cutting board? A cutting board, but no knife. You can only bring three <laughs> things. <laughs> I don't think he should bring the iPhone, but that's just my. Well, do opinion. you have you, internet? Does the internet work in this world? Yeah, you're going somewhere without internet, but you know, no. and like electricity. But sure, bring your iPhone. That's fine. All right. Well, now that you've constrained my choices, probably my chef's knife. I didn't think I had nice. to tell you. You're going to Middle Earth. <laughs> Middle Earth doesn't have internet. <laughs> or electricity. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, so a hunting rifle. Apparently, I need a chef's knife or a hunting knife. You bring I'll whatever bring my you hunting want. Gear. I'm bringing my hunting gear. There it is. He That's brings it. a bright orange vest. Like, no one knows. No one else has a gun in this world. But okay, it's fine. It makes me makes me pretty much a god. I was gonna say, Imagine, yeah, that know. make that gives you a huge advantage. <laughs> An orc says, you know, says some nonsense, you blow his brains out, and everybody else just falls in line. Perfect, I like it. I think so. All right, is it my turn or Jonathan's turn to answer this? Now, why don't you go, Deborah? All right, so Jonathan's gonna be mad about this. So I have two answers. So my first, what, what, my what? first answer is that I would just grab my bug out bag, which. I definitely have. Everything's in there. <laughs> there's food. There's knives. There's a compass. There's heating stuff. There's first aid. All in a very nice, comfortable hiking backpack. 
Awesome. So if I'm allowed... I mean, you came prepared for this question, so I guess props to you. Yeah, I have this bag. I have it. I could go grab it right now. So I would count that as my one of my three <laughs> items. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then my, well played. my second item would be my AR-15. And yep. my third item would be a bunch of ammo, an, a full ammo can for the AR-15. And those would be my three items. Mm. Mm-hmm. So now, because Deborah, you and I are armed and probably now are in charge. What, oh, yeah. do, what do we make <laughs> Jonathan bring? He can schlep all the No, all no, the, no. All the no, food. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> we're not going on the same adventure. We're all going on an independent adventure. Oh, you don't oh. have any control over me. Oh, we're in separate adventures. You, you don't own okay. me. Because I was going to say, yeah. well, Slava and I are now a two-man army. Like, we're, we're, we're yeah. just no, taking out no, no, no. all of Middle Earth. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just massacring. Yep. Just the orcs. Just the orcs. We'll be. We'll just. You know. Peace. We'll. We'll give the others a chance to right, surrender. Right. right? You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Ask me what I'm bringing. Just do it. Just watch me. What are you bringing, Jonathan? Okay. Great. A question. motivational book. No. What are you, an idiot? <laughs> First, I'm bringing a lockpick set. Yeah. You didn't think of that, did you? I can grab that right now. I might actually have one in my bug out bag. Shut up. All right. Or C4. We can just blow the doors off. Oh, that's, yep. <sighs> Breaching charges. Okay. The, other two, the other two things I'm bringing are Matt, so he's going to be able to bring three items, and Ryan, because he's going to be able to bring three items. So now I have a small band that I'm bringing because those are my three items, a lockpick set and two people who will both bring three items if he's because I know that they probably have a little more gear. Matt will bring like a tent or something, probably. He might have, I don't, Matt's not super well prepared. So I feel like he has a bug up bag that's empty. No, he's got Somewhere. one. He's got one that's got stuff in it. He also would probably not bring it though. He'd probably just bring all his guns. I mean, that's fine too. You know, three items is not a lot of items. Yeah. Ryan can bring some of his um, wood cutting gear. Like we'll be set. So like y'all didn't think creatively enough. Uh, so... Yeah, you have your guns, but you are limited on ammo, and we'll at least be able to pick some locks, chop some wood, and, um, you know, create some housing shelter. Well, my plan is to first go to Isengard and take that over first, so that I can then have, you know, the the orcs and Saruman, you know, make me more bullets there, because they've already (laughs) discovered gunpowder, clearly, so. Yeah. Yeah. And my hunting rifle is a thirty out six, so we can take out orcs from like a thousand yards. We'll just nice. Yeah, yeah but you don't have ten thousand ammo, so like I will. You got to be real specific on what you're fighting and when. Listen, I, I'm an excellent shot. Believe you me. <laughs> well, when you come to visit, we can be the we can let Matt and Deborah be the judge of that. But I feel, Jonathan, like you you have a very bureaucratic answer. Like you, you go out and you source others people's skills and resources and just tag along with your freaking ice pick or whatever you're bringing <laughs> i didn't say anything about an ice pick but that's not a bad idea but yes i'm sticking <laughs> to my strengths look i'm a people person we were flying back last night and my fiance and i i was like hey should we like snag dinner with our friend who's picking us up and she's like no i want to go home we've been out for the last three days like what are you t- what are you talking about i was like oh okay well i was just you know She's like, you could literally just keep going and being with people. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 100%. No questions. So I'm just playing to my strengths. I still like my answer, but it's fine. Well, they're all good answers. Yeah, I'm sticking to mine. Yeah. 
I'm just going to get further than both of you. So, you know. And the blood and sweat of others. No. I'm the burglar. I'm the burglar. Um, Shit, what is it? It's, uh... Before we dive in... SideQuest. The podcast is called SideQuest. <laughs> Great. Before we dive in, make sure you slam that subscribe button, you unruly adventurers, so that you never miss out on the treasure that lies ahead today on SideQuest. All right. Uh, so, Deborah, when was the last time you read The Hobbit? You said you read it about seven times now, right? Yeah. So the most recent time that I read it was last night. I finished it up. I've been reading nice. it for the past month in preparation for this podcast. I like Ooh. to cut things down to the wire a little bit sometimes. Very cool. Is there anything that stood out uh, to you? I think we can go around the horn and talk about this, but I want you to go first. What stood out to you when reading the book over time? Like the first time, second time, third time, what was the thing that makes it special for you? Well, I first read it when I was a little kid. So obviously there's the Mm -hmm. nostalgia factor. I still remember sitting cross-legged in the grass outside for hours reading it the first time. I actually did not know about Tolkien at all until I saw The Fellowship of the Ring in my basement, hiding on the stairs watching it while my dad was watching it. <laughs> um, so, Are you talking about the animated version? Oh, no. I'm talking about the the 2001 Peter Jackson Fellowship okay. of the Ring. Uh, yeah, so I was about 11 when I saw it, and it just opened a whole new world of amazingness. So that was when my parents said, hey, you can't watch any more of the, the movies until you read Lord of the Rings. So I actually read Lord of the Rings first. And then I read The Hobbit. and um, Oh, interesting. Yeah. And as an 11-year-old, I actually comprehended Lord of the Rings like, surprisingly well. But um, The Hobbit was more fun to read. It's arguably perfectly paced. Even reading it just this most recent time, I was like, wow, it just kind of zips along. There's not really any dull point there's not really anything that drags it's just Mm -hmm. yeah it just really keeps your attention quite well and what stood out to me more this time was obviously originally it was the story and the characters that I really enjoyed especially from having read Lord of the Rings I was especially attached to Gandalf and then this most recent time I was struck more by the prose and how beautiful it is and how well done like how well written it is and it's supposed to be a kid's book like people don't write kids books with stunning prose like this anymore sadly i was also struck by the fact that it's kind of a unique writing style where it's an omniscient narrator but you really only hear bilbo's thoughts there might be a specific literary term for that that escapes me at the moment but um, yeah I was because usually with omniscient narrator you you'll get into every character's head and hear kind of you know from multiple characters but I'm pretty certain that we only hear Bilbo's thoughts like the only time he says like he thought is for Bilbo so I thought that was interesting how it's almost first person while still being an omniscient narrator and I thought that was like a really clever unique way to write the story. That's awesome. It's similar to what you just said, Deborah. For me, the story was very engaging. The amount of thought put in to the story by Tolkien was also amazing. 
the songs, the prose, the poems. And something we touched upon in the second episode is when Smog and Bilbo are doing their battle of the wits, how the story is retold by Bilbo in, in a poem or in a whatever, spoken word, I guess, in our context, when he goes back and forth, I am the friend of bears, guest of eagles. I'm from the end of a bag, but a bag hasn't been put over me. Mm-hmm. I thought those little things were exceptionally done. Oh, yeah. I think Tolkien did just an amazing job telling a concise story, but there's so much packed into that story. And because he was an academic uh, language uh, expert, and then translated Beowulf, I think he had all the right tools to write a story like this. And I was fascinated for the second time reading this. Because this is my second time reading the book. I read it when I was a kid. I read the trilogy when I was a kid. It was all in seventh and eighth grade. Mm-hmm. We had an amazing reading and English program when I, in my school. And so we read a lot of classics. In eighth grade, I read Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet. We were gifted with a lot of good teachers That's when I was in seventh and eighth grade, and they really took to teaching us the classics. So reading it the second time, I found even more things that I forgot when I was reading it as a kid. Was it all of us? Jonathan, did you read it as a kid too? Have we all just read it first as kids? Yeah, I read it. You said you read it seven seven times. I didn't actually count because I also had, and actually I I don't think I've shown you this, Deborah is I have an audio cassette version of this that I got from my grandmother, like six tapes. It's pretty wonderful. Uh, it's not beautifully narrated the way that it would in modern day, but like the the guy tries to do the voices and when the thrush comes, he goes, Raw! and he just like dives into it. It's absolutely incredible. That is amazing. I want to lay eyes on that at some point. Yeah. That is a treasure. Yeah, uh, if you can get your hands on a tape deck, we can... Uh, we can listen to it. eBay. eBay still exists. It does. That's true. That's true. So yeah, read it, read it first as a kid, audiobook primarily, but I think this is my sixth time reading it, maybe fifth, sixth or fifth. So yeah, definitely started as a, as a kid, which was just kind of made me love fantasy. And then one of the other things that, um, that stood out to me on this read through was I, I, as I'm getting older, I'm thinking about childish things and like being 17 and dumb and knowing everything. This quote from Lewis stood out to me. I think it's from the intro to Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, but I could be wrong, but it is C.S. Lewis regardless. He said, I wrote this story for you, but when I began, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales, and by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still. But someday you'll be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. You can take it down from the upper shelf, dust it off, and tell me what you think of it. I shall probably be too deaf and too old to hear it or to understand a word you say, but I shall still be your affectionate godfather, C.S. Lewis. And he just this idea that fairy tales are for children, but then when you get older, you're like, no, I miss fairy tales. Like Fairy tales are are fun. We all know that there's dragons and treasure and adventures that we go on. And it's an invitation to all of us. And for some reason, during the middle years, we just go, I'm too good for that. And then it's like, we discover Dungeons and Dragons. And we're like, oh, shit, Uh, actually, it's pretty fun. And I want to do this more often. That'd be great. Like my little brother, I invited him to play D&D years ago. And he's like, no, that sounds dumb. You know, he does on, on Wednesday nights now. I'm going to give you one guess. He, I'm sure he doesn't play D&D. 
Well, that'd be incorrect. Not at all. Uh, actually, Deborah, <laughs> he does. He does play D and D now. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, people don't get it, but it's like it's just hanging around with your friends, pretending to be make believe. It's great. Yeah, I think as adults, we forget how awesome fiction is, fantasy or any kind of fiction. But we're talking about fantasy, so let's stick with that. How awesome fantasy is letting you get an escape. And as a yeah. kid, even if you have the best childhood in the world, like that part of childhood, that escape where you start imagining, you know, yourself as a different character, you're playing cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians, all, all the stuff that we played as kids. Yeah. That's an escape. And that's a natural thing. And as adults, sometimes we kind of stifle that, right? We're going to put in a box or try to push it down. There was a study done years ago where they looked at people who play D and they, and this is totally off subject and we can, we can get back on in a second, but where the task of playing Dungeons and Dragons helped people build the skill of mitigating risk in their own lives because they were so used to engaging with risk. Like, Oh, Hey, there's a troll in front of you. What are you and your party going to do? And like, you play this, you play D and D for 12 months and you're like, you get different types of risk that stand in front of you. And you're working on problem solving, you're, you're, you're doing risk assessment, and then either risk acceptance or risk aversion. And you're like deciding, oh, hey, am I going to do this thing? No, though, I'm going to try to do something else. And so from a practical standpoint, if nothing else, if you're going to remove all fun from playing D&D, it would actually help you mitigate risk in your life. And for those who are unfamiliar with the word mitigate means like lower risk, lower risk in your life when you're encountering risky things that's actually really interesting so yeah it helps you make more accurate risk assessments in reality Mm -hmm. because you're constantly doing them in a fantasy world oh that's actually really cool i like that yeah it's cool deborah you said something while you were talking about stuff that stuck out to you why were you attached to gandalf this time around because i felt the same way but i'm curious and i think i covered this briefly in part two but I just want to hear what what about Gandalf stuck out to you currently? Well, first I have a follow up question. Do you did you read The Hobbit first or Lord of the Rings first? Both of you. The Hobbit. The Hobbit. Okay. This is how weird my brain works. I remember it was seventh grade. We read The Hobbit. We read a book about a couple being snowed in a snowstorm. It was like a popular book at that time or the decade before. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And then we read the first one. And then in eighth grade, if I remember correctly, we read the second and third you know, book of the trilogy. Oh, okay. I think that's how it went. So it was spread yeah. out a bit for you. Okay. It was spread out, yeah. Um, because That's interesting because I associated a lot of my attachment to Gandalf with having seen the Fellowship of the Ring film first. Again, the Peter Jackson one. And I saw this with a completely fresh palette. So I I knew literally nothing about Lord of the Rings. So I was just sitting there in like awestruck the entire <laughs> film. And when Gandalf died in spoiler alert, I hope everyone knows that that happens in Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring. It's yep. been over 50 years. Yeah. Spoilers yep. are allowed. Spoilers are 100%. allowed. All right. So yeah, Gandalf dies in the Mines of Moria, sacrifices himself to fight the Balrog and allow the rest of the Fellowship to escape. And I was crying so hard my little 11 year old self like the front of my t-shirt was just <laughs> soaked in tears um 
and that's adorable uh, yeah it was it was something so i just had this attachment to gandalf but his character is very similar in the hobbit obviously it's the same character so like his mannerisms and everything are very similar so i think it goes deeper than the fact that i liked him from the movies i think it's probably just the the wise all-powerful guide that's really what he kind of represents I feel like and I remember every time he shows up in the Hobbit I would almost exhale oh they'll be okay now because Gandalf is there and I always felt like Bilbo kind of felt the same way they didn't I don't think Tolkien specifically said that but just the way Bilbo reacted to Gandalf showing back up when he you know because he pops in and out of the Hobbit quite a bit and even though bad things happen when Gandalf is there there's always kind of a underlying safe feeling like you're like oh Gandalf won't let anything truly bad happen at least that's how I thought of it so yeah I think I liked Gandalf because he's he's witty he's charming but he's also very wise and very um, powerful so yeah he's just the ultimate guide did you guys feel similarly or I know Jonathan you said you also liked Gandalf a lot I did I'm, I'm actually gonna take this one first Lava so in our notes and I think I covered some of these last time but there's just something about Gandalf and it's I think it's because of just like the nature of the path that my life has unfolded with where it has not always felt like there was direction or a mentor or a guide of any t- of any site to, to use your to use your label and so like going to read something like the hobbit or lord of the rings or another book where there's some older mentor character you know guiding the way has been super insp- uh, inspirational to me and so even when bilbo or sorry even when gandalf is talking about bilbo and it's just like you know there's still there's good in you that you don't understand yet and there's courage and wisdom or defending Bilbo to the dwarves. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand who this person is yet. And not that even Gandalf understands because he's kind of a prophet as well. He's so well adjusted to the world that is middle earth. Now it, it's because he's a Maiar, which, you know, I'll let you take that one if you want to in a minute, but he, he understands how the world functions well enough that he understands the inside of characters unfolding as adventures roll out and so him saying those things i like really take to heart because it's it's how i felt i felt like bilbo in my life so many times where it's like am i really a burglar am i this thing that i identify with like i don't really feel like it but this is like what people are saying and i mean i'm kind of good at it so i don't know i guess i guess i can burgle side quest i did mention lockpicks earlier and have one on the shelf over there so take that with what you will um (laughs) but uh yeah gandalf is I love the mentor. I love the the guide, the um, the oracle, if you will, in stories because it it speaks to the kid in me, where it's just like I don't know where to go, and it's like, hey, that's all right, you're gonna be okay, kid. Like, here, let me give you a little bit of direction. For me, it's strange the way my brain works. So if you listen to any of the episodes, Deborah, there's certain characters that. I am attracted to, that I find myself very much connected to as I'm reading the book. And the whole joke has been, it's always been like, you know, 17-year-old girls or something <laughs> like that. That's true, though. That's true, though. And most of the time, 
actually all the time, whether it's a male character or a fe female character, it's because I see something of them in myself, right? They're like a character, like that, that, that princess from Sanderson, Siri. It's because of how she was dealing with crap she was thrown into, the situation she was put in, how she dealt with it, how she processed it. When we got the internal dialogue, I felt like, oh, wow, that's how I was when I was a kid, a little bit. Like, that's how I thought, at least not, this, not exactly the same thoughts, but like the principle, the underlying principle of how she reacted to things, that was the same. Now, to answer this question, with The Hobbit, I didn't necessarily feel attracted to any of the characters in the same way that I did maybe with it, some of the kids with Siri and Sanderson, but the whole story, I was very much immersed. I was captivated by the story, but I can't say, although I understand what Jonathan means by it, I can't say like, wow, I felt like a Bilbo at this part of my life, but I felt like a Siri. I felt like some of the kids in other books that I read, the coming of age stories Shalom. and Shallan, yeah. <laughs> but for Borderline me, those... personality disorder. That is what it is. <laughs> for me, books were a true escape, more than just your typical kid going on an imagination trip. So when I read a story about a kid that's going through some trouble or going through a difficult situation, that's when I'm like, oh, wow, this character really means something to me. And I'm uh, just via nostalgia, via memories, via whatever happens, and I'm attracted to that character. With The Hobbit, as much as I love The Hobbit, I think it's a fantastic story. I don't feel any of that to any of the characters. Makes sense. Deborah, did you want to take a side quest into what the Maiar are, or you want to leave that for a different Lord of the Rings Tolkien episode? Well, I... No obligation. Okay. <laughs> I can do like a quick, a quickie little rundown. So, the Maiar are sent by the like Tolkien does have like an over god whose name escapes me right now it's been a little bit since I've read the Silmarillion Iru Iluvatar yes thank you and they're sent by him to help to direct the course of events on Middle Earth essentially and it seems like by the time we get to Lord of the Rings that Gandalf is really the only one still doing his job it would mm -hmm. seem. The blue wizards are mentioned, but they never do anything. And then there's Radagast, who's just kind of smoking in the forest and having a good old time. And then there's Saruman, who ends up siding with evil. So really, out of five yeah. of these immortal, essentially, beings that are sent, really just Gandalf is the one that continues his task, which is to order the events of Middle-earth and... Yeah, that's a quick little dive into the mire, but there's there's more. But if you guys there's read the more. Silmarillion, we can go into a little bit more of that. <laughs> you you wanna you wanna come back and look? I, we're not reading the Silmarillion alone. Like if we're doing that, we're doing that as a group, just because it'll add a lot more to talk about. I uh, I actually um, have a additional guest that you could bring on for the Silmarillion because um, oh. it's actually Matt's cousin, Brooke Ann, who is she mm. makes my Lord of the Rings knowledge look petty. She knows so really? much. Yes. She doesn't play D&D &D cool. with you guys, does she? Um, she does not, no. But um, she is a huge, Dork. huge Lord of the Rings nerd. Yep. Before Slava takes this, uh, us back in here, so I saw this TikTok of this guy discussing the Maiar, and he's like, has anyone ever thought about how Gandalf 
is like in the mines of Moria and he comes across this Balrog and he's like, ah, shit, it's Kevin. Because there's like six Balrogs and he knows them and they're all Maiar as well. And he's just like, I bet you it's Kevin. It's just Kevin down there just chilling. And he, man, I could take Thomas and I could take George, but Kevin knows always giving me a run for my money. So like, I really hope it's not Kevin, but I bet you it is. And just like coming into the Mines of Moria and knowing these other six Maiar who are all Balrogs. <laughs> it's just like, he does it a lot better than I do, but that's the, the broad stroke of it. And it was really funny. Yeah, the, the Balrogs were servants of Morgoth and uh, they used to eat elves for breakfast lunch and dinner so fun fact awesome they uh peter jackson threw a little homage to that by showing legolas looking absolutely terrified once they realized it's a Balrog, <laughs> as he should be so the hobbit was published over eight decades ago if not more but its enduring popularity continues to captivate readers today and i think we're evidence of that but not only is it a cool story it also delves into some deeper philosophical questions about heroism, friendship, fate, fighting evil. Now that you've read it as adults, help me unpack that. Okay. Well, one thing that kind of struck me is, I know you said just now that you didn't really relate to Bilbo too much, but um, I think mm -hmm. the majority of people, especially today, because especially like kids in America, I'm not saying everyone has a perfect life, but like a lot of kids are like, fairly comfortable right so you're you're fairly cozy you're you're comfortable in your house like even us as as adults like you know and comfort can be dangerous because it's it can be really addictive you really just want to stay in your cozy little hobbit hole and enjoy yep. your you know first and second breakfast 11th's luncheon afternoon tea dinner and supper every day Love it. I think The Hobbit is kind of a reminder or an invitation that there's more out there. It's called There and Back Again. So there are things to be gained from putting comfort aside for a bit and going out into the wide world. And you won't return the same. I know you guys had touched on that in previous episodes about how Tolkien really emphasized that Bilbo was not the same hobbit. I mean, Gandalf literally tells him that you are not the same hobbit as you were that day when I said good morning to you on the porch. And I think that's just such a beautiful, timeless story of we should welcome troubles and trials and adventures and take them as opportunities to get out of our comfort zones and to grow and morph into better people. Beautifully said. And I think if I was to add an asterisk to my answer, although I'm not attracted to any of the characters or relate to any of the characters in a way that maybe you, Deborah, or Jonathan, I am attracted and relate to the story as a whole. Something in the last episode we touched on is when you go on these adventures, and in life, in our lives, those adventures look very different than Bilbo's, but you come back. And you are different. You have grown. You look at life a little bit differently. When I was 16, I looked at life differently when I was 26 and 36 and now going into 43, 44. I look at life completely different. So because of those life experiences, we are changed people. And just like you said, Jonathan, in the previous episode, you come back and those friends that haven't moved anywhere, they're kind of the same as they were. 
and you have now become a little odd and strange because you write poetry and eat with elves. But I'll let you uh, dissect this too, Jonathan. What about you? Well, you're not. At first, I thought you were gonna like say that I write poetry and and eat with elves, and then I was like, I mean, I still kind of do that in my day to day life, so I'll accept it. I'm gonna take there that. You go. Receive it. Um, so Deborah, you you said something that I found interesting, and then I'll, I'll I'll share my thoughts on it. But the you said that we should embrace hardship and suffering. You don't have to dive into the details on this, but I know that there have been difficult things in your life, and even in in recent. Like you and I only met in the last year, right? And we became close friends for a variety of reasons. And you went through some suffering in the last year that was pretty difficult for you. How would you, especially after reading The Hobbit, looking back, because in the moment of suffering, it's like super freaking hard for us, right? And again, you don't have to discuss the details of it, but like in retrospect, how do you encourage someone who might be listening to this episode and might be going through suffering like, how do we embrace suffering well? Because in the moment, it's like super difficult. But in retrospect, it's like, oh, hey, this is a good thing. It's helping sharpen me and like giving me opportunity to grow and, and all the stuff you said. And I have thoughts on this because I've also suffered a, a, a fair amount in life. I just wanted to get your take on it first and then we can have Slava go last. All right. Well, it's always tricky to talk to people while they are going through the hard things mm -hmm. because a lot of the things that i can look back and say now during during the suffering i would have i would have told you to you know f off basically if you had told me <laughs> these things um hey, yeah, me too. yeah so um i'm not sure that's a really difficult question but i can say that if you're going through something really really hard right now or if you are going through suffering it's not going to be forever. It's it's really easy to get stuck in the present and to, especially if there's big emotions and feelings involved, and especially if you're quite miserable, it can feel like forever. <laughs> quite miserable. Yeah. It can feel like forever. And I would just like to encourage anyone, if you're stuck in a bad adventure right now, if you're stuck in the goblin tunnels, there is going to be a light at the end like something is going to change something is going to shift and a lot of it is in your control probably a lot more than you think because mm. even if the circumstances are outside of your control you can always control your response to the circumstances and That's good. I think for my life I had to learn that kind of the hard way I've responded badly a lot of the time and I'll still reap some benefit from the suffering like I guess that's encouraging as well. Even if you respond badly and you complain and you hate it the whole time, once you get out, you'll still look back and say, oh, I learned a lot. I gained a lot of tenacity through this. I gained a lot of resilience through this. But if you choose to have a positive attitude and to really, you know, weather the storm with grace and I, my faith played a big part in this last suffering episode, I suppose you can call it, that I went through um, and I chose to praise God in the storm. And that really did shift my entire perspective. And I felt like I grew more in three weeks than I had my entire life previously. And I'd been through tough stuff 
previously also, but Mm -hmm. I think your mindset and the attitude that you have about your, your little adventure that's going awry really makes a huge difference. That's a great, that's a great answer. Yeah. I think for myself, because I've been through some, some medical difficulty when I was born, I talked about on the episodes before I've been through a series of bad breakups. I chased an Australian woman across America for eight years. Plot twist at the end here did not go well uh, for me at all because I had identity issues at the time. And um, I've lost jobs. I've lost friends. Life is just difficult as is. But I think the more, and uh, I'm just like recalling the Rolodex of suffering in my mind too. My my nephew, who was nine months old, had cancer. My little brother had open heart surgery. There's a lot of suffering in the world. And what I've done for myself in, and I've mentioned this before too, is is books are therapy for me, but I I take on the heroic role of like both allowing myself to suffer, but also standing in as the mentor or guide and like cheering myself on because at the end of the day, you are always with yourself. No one's going to throw you a lifeline. Like hopefully you have friends like both of you that they can be there and go, Hey, like I realize shit's hard right now, but like, what do you need? Not everyone has that. And sometimes, well, at least in my history, it's been most of the time, I don't ask for help. It's not a, it's not a, that is not a heroic quality. True heroes know that they need other strength. But for me, I had to like pick myself up. I almost, (laughs) this kind of sounds weird. I almost split my personality in two, if you will, where it's like, no, I realize shit's hard, but I need to be there for whatever the suffering is for myself and took on the role of the hero of the Thorin and sometimes took on the role of the Gandalf in my own life and going like, here's the deal. I know it's bad right now, but you know, just like you said, Deborah, like it will change, which is a good thing. But in the midst of it, man, hell, like just everything is bad. Anyone smiling is just another knife in the gut. Like it's bad. (laughs) doesn't matter which suffering, whether it's romantic or family or health, other people smiling and having a good time. You're just like, do you hate me? I feel like this is personal. I feel like you're smiling and the person's just like having a great day. Like they just bought a puppy. You know, you're trying to buy a coffee and they're like, life is so good. I got my nails done. I went for a manicure. Da, da, da. And you're like, why do you hate me? Why do you bear in your sorrows against me? You foul creature. Anyway, I'll, <laughs> I'll kick it over to Slava to talk a little bit about heroism and, and uh, fate. Tell me about fate, Slava. Well, before I do that, I want to I want to continue this conversation. I want to have a chance to respond to you and Deborah. I am going to quote the great philosopher of our time, Tom Hanks. <laughs> in a recent interview, he talked about the principle of this too will end. So everything's oh. going good. Everything's going great. You bought a puppy. You got a manicure. Jonathan, you got a pedicure. You got your hair washed. Well, this too will end. Blow out. You're going through some horrible shit. Remembering 2014 for me was a pretty was a pretty cataclysmic year, mm-hmm. most of all career wise, and then the fallout from that. Yeah, yeah, all the stuff that happens afterward touched upon other aspects of my life, but it all started with a career, specifically a problem surrounding my career at that time. And in that moment, I responded well. Sometimes, other times, responded not so well. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I can see how those events not only changed me, resilience, you said, Deborah, right? Tenacity yeah. not only changed me in a positive way by 
bringing those things about in my life and also changed you know me in the way that more practical things more tangible things so that cataclysmic event propelled me into a different career and the five years in that career catapulted me into my career now which i'm very happy with not only did i grow spiritually and emotionally there's also things that i learned that helped me in my professional career yeah the world looked like it was ending in 2014 but fast forward to 2023 um, eons ahead of the Slava that was in 2014, emotionally, spiritually, and career-wise. Um, you know, it's like I took back the 14th, you know, one fourteenth of the treasure, and I'm not even talking about my salary. <laughs> right. I'm not even. Uh, that's not even an analogy to my salary, or to my salary's a lot higher too. But I came back out of that, le- having learned valuable lessons, and got some treasure out of it. You you provoke an interesting question in my mind, and I want to know what you guys think about this. It sounds like, at least from the three of us, all suffering is littered with hope. Is that fair? Is that a, is that an unreal statement? Because because you're talking about like this this too will end, and Deborah, you're talking about how like things will change, and I mentioned like stuff doesn't stay the same. Is it fair to say that suffering always there's hope always in suffering? Like I don't know how to like. Colloquially, I don't know how to say this well at the moment, but if you endure suffering, you will receive hope on the back end. Now, I feel like I could probably dismantle that philosophically, but I don't know. What, 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 what do you guys think about that? Um, I think you're right on. Um, I think that suffering well can be retaining hope through it. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can even think about when um, Bilbo is in Mirkwood and they've been wandering around, wandering around forever. They have him, you know, climb the tree and he climbs up and like for a moment, he's just like, oh, yes. And he has like that moment of hope (laughs) and um, he sees the butterflies and that just gives him, you know, that breath of like fresh air. And then, of course, when he goes back down. You know, he he thinks that he can't see the end of the forest and then he, you know, everyone loses hope at that point. It can definitely make a huge difference. Come here. Okay. Uh, sorry. <laughs> special guest on the special, special guest Special guest episode. interruptions. Love you. All of you. Love you too, Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, special <laughs> guest on the special guest episode. Um, but anyway, to go back to hope tolkien actually has a quote i had to just look it up here it says have patience go where you must go and hope and Mm. i actually those are the things that get you through suffering very can you read that again beautiful and concise have patience go where you must go and hope i love that Oh, I don't know what that's from. Like, I know it's from Tolkien, but yeah. like, is it a letter or something? Or it's, um, it's just I don't remember that. I don't anywhere. think it's in a book. I think it's an actual quote from him. And I know that he does talk about hope a lot in his stories as well. I'm just thinking about Gandalf. I know when the when the beacons of Gondor are lit, he says very he says hope is kindled. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a few other places in Tolkien's writings where um, he talks about hope, you know, reemerging hope being important 
another quote from him is from Return of the King, where it says, oft hope is born when all is forlorn. Love that. I think that is something that Tolkien thought was very important. And he wove that through all of his stories. Yeah, I think, Jonathan, to answer your question, yes. Because as a person matures, and both, you know, in age and understanding his or her philosophy, worldview, when the second round, and maybe some people are fortunate enough to find this out, the first round of suffering comes along, I think it's something innate in us to, even in the most immature way, in an inarticulate way, to sort of have some kind of hope. That's what pushes people to fight in those situations when you have a response to it. You know, I'm not talking about fight or flight, but I mean, you're responding to whatever's happening and you're fighting for your life. You know, that might sound dramatic, but sometimes, a lot of times, that is what it is. Yeah. So I think in those responses, you build that resilience, you build that tenacity that Deborah mentioned, and you understand, like Tom Hanks, when he gave this interview, this was like, I think two, three months ago, I saw this interview. I don't know when it was filmed. He now has gray hair and a beard. So recently, and he's older, he's probably in his 50s or 60s, probably close to mid-60s. He's able to say that and say, like, this too will end. But it, And even when you're having the best of times, understanding that suffering will come, and now you're better prepared. Yeah. Exactly what we talked about in episode two of The Hobbit, part two of The Hobbit, that now you're better prepared for the next thing. You have come out of it matured, strengthened mentally and uh, sometimes physically. Right. But Jonathan, you said something about heroism. Yeah. Yeah. Give us uh, your thoughts on that in terms of like the themes and motifs of, of the, um, the Hobbit here as we're moving toward the end here. Based on our discussion, I think something more interesting than heroism is companionship. Because we're talking about suffering, we're talking about having friends during suffering. So here's a question for you guys. How significant is the theme of companionship in The Hobbit? And part two, how does this theme influence the character's actions, motivations, and decisions? And then maybe an application to ourselves. We'll let you go first again, Deborah. All right. Companionship. So interestingly, I feel like companionship in The Hobbit is not as big of a emphasis as, say, like the Fellowship of the Ring, because I think The Hobbit is very focused on Bilbo and his own personal journey. And I think that is the main point of The Hobbit is how he changes from a little scared Hobbit comfortable at Bag End to this like heroic warrior. But I do think that his companions helped shape him and played a big part in him becoming that person. And I think a lot of it was from his feeling of loyalty and duty to these dwarves that he was sent with. And I think you see that over and over again. I mean, from, well, the trolls where the dwarves actually rescue him. And then you move on to Mirkwood and the spiders and the the goblin tunnels. And he doesn't directly rescue the dwarves from the goblins. So that's more of a personal growth thing. But once he's out of that and you get 
into Mirkwood, he really has a few opportunities to leave the dwarves high and dry. He could have left them to the spiders and escaped himself. He could have left them in the dungeons of the wood elves. And, you know, he could have revealed himself to the wood elves and hoped that, you know, lied and said that he didn't know the dwarves. There were there were many options he could have taken. And instead, he chose to be loyal to his companions. And I think that there's a lot of admirable that's a very admirable trait to be loyal and loyal friends are hard to find. And if you get them, you should keep them. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I didn't think about it until you said it, but you're absolutely right. Companionship is not a central theme of the Hobbit, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, the people around Bilbo as, as they grow closer because of their experiences He's able to say, no, I can't do the, I can't leave him to the spiders. I have to, you know, go save them. And by the end of the, by the end of the story, they are a lot closer for that. And sometimes when you go through suffering, you have people in your life that are not, not necessarily your bosom buddies, your best friends, but because they're in, in close proximity to you, I can think of one guy uh, from work, from my previous job that for a while there because we were in the the mess that we were in as a company together and it had to do with uh, covid and us the company losing a lot of money because there was no more conferences and we couldn't go and make money so there was a lot of internal struggles and it kind of weighed on all of us and it kind of affected our jobs and some of our even personal lives because there's a so it's such a big mess to unravel but because we were even okay, even though we were different departments, but because we were fighting the same battle, it made it a lot easier. Just having somebody next to you doesn't have to be, like I said, the best of friends, but having somebody next to you makes it so much easier to to progress, to fight, to, you know, deal with the things that are in front of you. No, I think you make a really good point. I mean, when you're in the trenches with somebody, if you're alone, it's a lot more difficult. When you have someone that you can draw on for strength, for hope, for, or if you can be that for somebody else, I think that really does help when you're going through stuff. And being in the trenches with someone can also really strengthen that relationship a lot. And absolutely, yeah, I, I was in the military and for a while there, like I had, I was very, very close with a couple people from my, my squadron because we were there. Like, suffering together till three in the morning <laughs> you know like, yep like just one thing after the other and going on deployment and all of that can really make you fast friends it can turn an acquaintance into a best friend very quickly when you are suffering together or going through hardships together yeah oh absolutely absolutely and one final point before i throw it to jonathan i think going at it alone you'll never achieve the amount of success for lack of a better term, as you would with a companion or just somebody next to you. From my experience, there's been times where I've, fa- I've faced suffering and faced uh, hardships alone, and I made it through them by God's grace, and I'm still a better person for it, and I've still learned things and, you know, beaten the odds, all that good stuff. But if I look back and look at another situation which, in, you know, included hardship or suffering, and I had somebody with me, 
how much better that was. And my wife and I, we we don't have extended family, either because of death or because of the decisions of our parents that estranged that family from us because of their choices, their life choices. So when my wife and I face hardship now, it's great that we can face it together, but how much better would it be if I could call a cousin or call an uncle or a mom? Not because at 40, I need mom's advice. I'm a grown man. I know what to do. But just to call and say like, oh, damn it. Like this, uh, this thing is really bugging me. And just vent and be able to, even at 40, hear a mom or a dad say, well, that sucks. Or to be able to give advice that I haven't thought about. Mm-hmm. So ha- I'll end with this and then I'll volley it off to you, Jonathan. I think having companions, even as loose as they were between Bilbo and the dwarves, eventually, obviously, it grew. It's so much easier and so much better for your soul to be able to have people in the trench with you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's great, Slava. I, my thoughts on companionship and friendship are that sometime we could have a discussion about the difference between them. But I guess thinking about it for two seconds, I I think that friendship doesn't require suffering to be something that we all have, but companionship it only comes about through suffering. Because uh, I'm thinking about Sam and Frodo in Lord of the Rings and how Frodo has given up during the journey, basically, and Sam has to carry him, like physically carry him at points because he's like, come on, Mr. Frodo, we can do this. But Frodo has to bear the burden. And so sometimes there's moments of life, whether it's, you know, my nephew with brain cancer and my little brother going for open heart surgery, where it's like, yeah, we have medical stuff today, but like that doesn't remove all risk. Like he could die on the table and I have to like consider that when I say goodbye, like before he goes into surgery and like it's real shit and it's just stuff that we have to, well, let me say it this way. I would hope that we in the good times in the festive and the harvest and the and the times where suffering is just a bad day at work times we would cultivate companionship with one another Uh, not just us on the podcast here but like the people listening to where it's like and i'm and i'm selfishly doing this i run a small group at our church um that deborah and matt are a part of and i am selfishly and i don't you know i call it selfish but i think a lot of people be like well that just sounds like wisdom trying to cultivate a group of people who will choose to be companions because suffering is coming. And so like, that means doing the, Hey, how was your week? Hey, how was the weather? And like doing that stuff first so that we can get into like, Hey, how's your mom? How's your, you know, how's your brother? How's this? How's that? And then it's like, Hey, you mentioned this really hard thing about your life. Can we unpack that? Cause I went through something similar. And because eventually suffering is coming for all of us. Like, I don't care if you're a billionaire or if you're living on the street and you're listening to this podcast, like suffering is something that is guaranteed in life. Very few things are. It's one of my hot topics that I go on my soapbox about regularly. So I will let you tune into other episodes for that. But I want, I was telling my fiance on the flight back uh, from work stuff this week, I was like, I want to cultivate a group that has deep friendship with one another because I don't feel like I've ever really had that. I mean, Slav and I kind of had that a little bit, but it's gone, right? Like, we don't keep in touch with those guys anymore. Like, it sucks. Like, yeah, we could, like, any of them, if we, if, if you text any of them right now, they'll, they'll, like, reach out and go, oh, shit, like, let's talk, right? But 
it's uh it's different than and Deborah, you can correct me on this, but like every military person that I befriend, they have a group of friends that they literally can call up at any time. And go, hey, you can't ask me questions about this, but I need you to show up tomorrow at four because I need some help doing something that I can't tell you the details about, and we can never talk about it again. And you just like, they'll be like, is this really that serious? And you'll go, yep. And they'll go, okay, which which airport am I flying into? And they won't ask questions. Like, tell me I'm wrong here. But like every military person that I've ever talked to has a group of people like that because you all suffered together. Yeah, I would say that's that's accurate. Suffering definitely, like I said, strengthens relationships. And to what you said about having that group of companions and then kind of moving on, I think that The Hobbit actually kind of shows that happening, right? Like Bilbo goes on this adventure yeah. with this group, right? And then he leaves that group and... I think that also reflects what happens in our lives so often is that at different seasons, we have different groups of companions. Then we'll move on because we're going in another adventure and they have their own adventure. We're not on the same adventure anymore. But I would say that, especially military-wise, there are always people, even if they are on a different adventure, you can call them and yes, they would come help. But I think it's also important, as painful as it may be, to move on once the adventure is done with those companions to move on to the next adventure and be excited to meet your new companions and for that new chapter of your life and then work on strengthening those relationships as well. Mm. Yeah. Beautifully said again. I can think back through my friend Rolodex and there are some people that are no longer part of my life. And in the last year or so I've thought about it and I'm like, well, that's okay. And some of it ended awkwardly. And one guy that I'm thinking about just disappeared. He just disappeared. Like, I don't know why or how, but we don't longer talk. And the last time I texted him was in August. And the response was just so terse which was so different than any other response I've ever gotten from him. Mm. And that text was the first text in four months. And then the other text was the first one in three months, something like that. Now, right now, today, as you as you were talking about it, Deborah, I was like, you know what? This is a time to kind of let that go. Not that it was like bothering me or I couldn't sleep, but in the course of a day when you remember a person, you're like, oh, yeah, what the hell happened there? And over dinner on Thursday, I want to say, this is Saturday when we're recording, my wife asked me about this guy. And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't know. And I don't think I want to know. Mm -hmm. So as you were, as you were talking to Deborah, I think it just, you know, dawned on me that this is a good time to just, you know what? Uh, Him and I were in the trenches together and we served as each other's, you know, battle buddy, as each other's companions. And he has his life. And I know some of the personal stuff that he's battling with. And I that's okay to let that relationship go. Now, that's a more of a sadder, you know, kind of a situation, <laughs> right? But in the course of a normal situation, sometimes people will just come in and out of your life. And some of the people that Jonathan mentioned, about 98% of them, it was a natural departure, for me at least, because I moved away they're still stuck in their bullshit. I'm in a different set of bullshits. So it's okay that we, we are 
you no longer um, together, right? Or no longer companions. Because I remember about a year ago, we all got on a, it was like a Zoom call. Everything was great. We all chit-chatted, laughed, told jokes. And then, well, we got to go now. And since that Zoom call, nobody has talked to each other. And that's okay. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that is actually okay. Yeah. That's different than what happened with, the, with the, the dude that I just mentioned. So Right. I mean, maybe they'll knock yeah. on your door in another like five years and want uh, tea at four. I mean, it might happen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. People don't knock on each other's doors anymore, though. It's really like, sad. That used to be a thing. You'd, you'd jump on your bike. You'd go down the, the, the road to your friend's house and you go, is Tommy home? Can he come out and play? Yeah. And people used to just, hey, let's, uh, we're on this side of town. Like, let's swing by, by uh, uh, you know, Deborah and Matt's house. Let's just quick and, you know, hey, we were in the area. Like, what are you guys doing? And then you're like, uh, nothing. You, you want to come and say hi to the dogs? You know, whatever it is. People don't do that anymore. Yeah. It's actually kind of sad because I think there is a, a personal element that's missing from, you know, Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's my that's my invitation to all of you. Go knock on your friend's door, whether or not they're home. Don't text them beforehand. Just show up. See what happens. Let's make this a thing again. I like it. Of course, it. Matt and Deborah are going to come over right now and just, hey, what are you doing? No, you just finished podcasting. What are you guys doing? Guess what, what Jonathan? I'm actually standing outside your door right now. What? <laughs> really? All right. Great. Me too. I flew in last night. <laughs> <laughs> but that'd be, don't lie to me. That'd be great. That'd be pretty fun. <laughs> well, Jonathan, you want to help us land this thing? Let's do it. Deborah, at the end of each of our books, we do a quick rating system. And being the guest, why don't you uh, you let us know one to five. One is the worst. Five is the best. If it's a five, it means nothing should have been changed in the book. The book was perfect in this element. And if it's below a five, I will be challenging it and saying, okay, then what would you have changed? So uh, that's the rating system. Uh, we'll share ours in a minute, unless we covered it in one of the previous episodes you listened to. I think to. you did cover it in uh, episode two. I think we did. We did. Yeah, thank you. Okay. My memory is a little foggy. I'm kind of a turtle this morning. Super slow. So, The Hobbit. Story and plot. One to five. What you got? This. My answers will shock you. Five. Okay. Love it. Love it. Love it. Any notes on that or just five? It's perfect. I have I have no notes. If this were about Lord of the Rings, is this would be much more interesting. So when you guys do Lord of the Rings, hit me up. Okay. okay. Noted. Characters, one to five. You know what? I'm gonna give this one a four point five because Ooh, there's Thorin, isn't it? Tell me it's Thorin. There's too many dwarves. I, I'm not sure why Tolkien decided to yeah. do what was it, thirteen? Thirteen. I really don't know why he did that. There's not really a good way to flesh out that many characters in that short of a story. And I think they kind of just all group together. The only ones that are differentiated are like Bomber because he's fat and then Thorin (laughs) and he falls asleep and they have to carry him through the forest. And (laughs) yeah, yeah. I'd be so I would be too. I would have left him. I'd be like, you know what? This is your fault. Sorry. Give me that contract. One thirteenth one share for the rest yep. of us. Yep. Um, I'd be like, yeah, you're way too big, dude. Sorry. But uh, yeah, I think he, I don't know if he like shot himself in the foot with that one, but it, I especially noticed the Hobbit movies are a whole nother tangent that I don't want to go on because they're not oh. really worthy of speaking of. Um, no. Nope. However, mm-hmm. I will say that it was almost impossible for a movie 
to differentiate. Like, I mean, in a book, you you know, maybe if you wrote a long enough book, you could flesh out the characters a little bit. But in a movie, there's zero chance you're going to be able to explore any sort of character arc with more than like mm-hmm. two or three of the dwarves. Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. Again, I'm not sure why he chose that number. It is pretty comical. Um, especially when they all show up at his door and there's just like a house <laughs> full of dwarves. So maybe that's why he did it. Otherwise, yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of characterization to most of them. So 4.5. Fair enough. And the world? A five. It's Middle Earth, man. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most expansive fantasy worlds ever. It's got full languages that you could like not only is elvish a language there's dialects of this language that are spoken by different elves i have a uh, tattoo on my collarbone mm-hmm. that is in Sindarin dialect whoa yeah so and i had to do a lot of research to make sure it was correct <laughs> because it doesn't say i like cats no it doesn't <laughs> or some, some it that. says not all those who wander are lost um mm, very nice yes I feel like that speaks to my life quite well. Very cool. So Middle Earth is definitely a five out of five. Love it. Very cool. Well, Deborah, we know you got other stuff to do today. So do we. Uh, Thank you so much for showing up to read The Hobbit with us and being on this episode. And definitely want to try to do either a a one-off D&D thing uh, or... If you're if you're game, we'll t- we can talk to Allison and see if she'll jump on for Fourth Wings because I don't know what it is, but um, she read it and I think it'd be fun to get her on this podcast and then do like a four person chat on it. Yep. Have some more ladies come on. So if you want to read other books with us, I can show you what we're looking at and you can let me know where uh, you want to jump in. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, that sounds like a good time. This was great. I always love nerding out, especially about Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So thank you try to get you in on some uh some sanderson reading because yeah i know what you've said before where you don't have the brain space for another universe but i promise you it is 100 percent worth it especially because it's a universe that's currently alive and being built um which gives it a different type of anticipation to it but uh slava why don't you tell us what we're reading next next week we will dive into stephen king's it part one we broke it up into six parts, and on part six, we're going to have Jess, my friend from Restaurant Lore of Long Ago, come by. <laughs> and I'm excited because it is one of my favorite books. As a kid, I read it for the first time and resonated so much with the kids. And we'll get into this in parts probably two and three, but the the way King writes kids is so good in my opinion and the the story of these the troubles that these kids go through i kind of can resonate and because i read it as a kid there's a very much a nostalgic aspect to this book too but this is the book that i read seven times so i'm mm, excited to mm-hmm. to share it all with you you had a alien demon clown haunting your town as a kid <laughs> Very close. Very, very analogous to my life. Yes. <laughs> ah, that sounds that sounds wonderful. Yes. Slava's got but, stories. We don't get into yeah. all of them, but he's got stories. Yeah. But I 
really resonated with one of the kids, Ben, and I'll quickly just go through this and we can end this episode. But Ben, who spent his life in the library just reading books, that was me. Like, and in the in the story, Ben wins a prize because he's read so many books over the the summer. That was me. Although <laughs> I really resonate with two of the other characters, and I'll just preface it before I get him my balls busted. It's not the female character. It's the comic relief and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the straight and narrow guy who's in charge of the the losers club in this book. So there's aspects of all these three characters. There's this little slivers of all these characters that I really resonate with. So I'm excited to talk about it. Hold on. Did, did you guys do the Pizza Hut, like read this many books over the summer and then you get a free personal pan pizza? Did you guys do we that? We did that. I tried. We did that. And the ones I won, I didn't win that one. The, the ones I won, the one I won was uh, hosted by the library and it, if you read so many books, you got, I forget what the gift card was for. I don't think it was pizza. It was something else that I won. But you read so many books, you signed off on them, and you brought them, you had to check them out, bring them back. Uh, I suppose you could just not read them because it was all kind of an honor system. But I, I did. <laughs> I did. I did. And they were, surprise, surprise, they were all horror books. Uh, I, I forget what, I, I think I won like a Friendlies. If anybody oh, yeah. remembers Friendlies, East, yeah. East Coast. A friendly's uh, gift card. They send a yeah. note home with your parents like, hey, you should check on your son. Uh, he's reading some really scary books. Questionable and... literature choices. He keeps yeah, well... coming in smiling. So, you know, <laughs> is everything okay there? We just want to know. Well, you guys won't be surprised by this. But one day I, I, was, I rented, rented. I took out a Stephen King book, an Arnold Stein book. <laughs> And I think I rented like a a movie that was like two rated R movies. And uh, the librarian was like, does your mom let you read this? I was like, oh, no, this is for my mom. She gave me a list of what she wanted. And <laughs> Ooh, quick thinker. It was not for my mom. Quick thinker. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, oh, okay. And then, yeah. Then she never wow. bothered me again when I rented like The Godfather and Freddy. So you Jason did abuse the honor system is what you're telling I did. Me. I yeah. did. It's like the kid who's going into the, the the corner store like, yeah, dad wants a pack of cigarettes and another, you know, pint of whatever. Like, oh, okay. No problem. You know, that really worked. Another story. This is going to be a two-hour episode. Just, Oh, my gosh. When I was a kid, I worked for this old lady in the apartment complex we lived in. And by worked, I mean I, I would shop for her because she, she had uh, movement issues. Mm. So I would shop for her and I would buy her cigarettes. More one hundreds, and at, she sent a note that it was for her, not for me, and it worked. The nineties were fabulous wild. time, man. Or wild. What a time to be alive! Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Oh man! All right, well, land the plane. All right, you salty adventurers, be sure to smash that subscribe button so that you get to participate in all of the side quests and you never miss out on the treasure that lies ahead. And also little hobbit piece here may your companions knock on your doors and ask you to join on their latest adventure subscribe to sidequest do it land the plane